What's the difference between transgender and non-binary? And how should we use pronouns accordingly? Also, how much do you know about unconscious bias? And more importantly, do you think that you are unconsciously biased? Let's find out. Welcome to Half Hour Mentor. My name is Ian Cleverdon, and welcome to the seventh episode of the series. As this episode is being released during Transgender Awareness Week, I wanted to highlight the importance of this week by having a discussion with someone who is not only well-versed in transgender issues and terminology, but has also lived through those very difficult experiences that gay, non-binary and transgender people live with every single day, and is prepared to speak honestly and openly about them. Therefore, I'm absolutely thrilled to welcome Ricky Arundel to the podcast. Ricky is an award-winning virtual keynote speaker and storytelling coach and was the founder of the UK and Ireland Professional Speaking Association. Coming out as transgender at the age of 52, Ricky faced considerable discrimination and had to completely change career from sales, technology and financial services to establish themselves as a leading gender and diversity speaker, including delivering two TEDx talks. So let's hear from Ricky, starting with what they first wanted to do. That's quite quite a difficult one because I really didn't know. I didn't have a clue. My dad had been a Rolls-Royce engineer um, and had encouraged me down science and engineering route. I lived in the West Country and it was it was all about light engineering. That was what people did. Um, so I, I took science A-levels and you know, failed them all. Um, and so I had to come back and that rethink everything. And uh, some people had told me about economics and sociology as, and these were brand new A-levels. Nobody had ever done them before or economics was there, but sociology was new. And I thought, well, I'll do that. Cause I only had a year. My dad had said, right, you can have another year. Um, and then a, a friend of mine encouraged me to get involved in the college play. And there was a audition for the part of Mark Antony available. Uh, a big part in Julius Caesar. They they always used to do the, the O level play and yeah uh, for six nights. So I did learn most of the old friends Romans countrymen speech and uh, and got into it and got the part uh, and blew everybody all the competition away. So the director said, "Well, you're actually not good enough. Um, so I need you to take some of the drama class." And it just turned out that the drama course just slotted into all my free periods apart from one class. So I took a drama class and effect- effectively took an A-level uh, in speech and drama. Um, and so when I left, my, my first instinct was to, to go to Butlins. I'd been there the previous year working in a bar. So I thought, oh, be a red coat. And so off I came to become a red coat and started getting into entertainment and singing on stage. And I quite liked the whole entertainment field. I left, uh, left yeah, Butlins and then you hadn't got the A-levels to get me into um uh, into university so i ended up in london and somebody said well, why don't you just get a job to start with and then if you've got a job you can you know look around it you know because i i tried to get into one of the drama colleges but i hadn't passed the audition so i was struggling a little bit not at all sure where i was going to go and insurance company said well look yeah well you come in and if you take the exams we'll pay you more every time you pass an exam and 25 years later <laughs> i had a career and and i had a quite good career in in financial services but that whole thing about drama and performance was always there so i very quickly yeah i took some exams and did my basics yeah and and i then got drawn into marketing and training 
and suddenly found myself in speaking where all of those skills suddenly became relevant. I've got, people think, oh, acting is a bit boring because you're completely repeating the same thing. When I'm speaking, it's 90% the same talk I did last time. Um, verbatim. If you listen to them, you'll think, oh, my God, it's the same joke. Uh, it's the same ad lib. <laughs> <laughs> it's interesting, though, because with with actors and, and training to be actors, they'll quite often have those jobs that they'll to pay the bills and whilst they're learning the, the trade. But you sort of diverted off into the financial services and, and kept in yeah, that. I, I think it was because it, it offered me an opportunity to get the equivalent of a degree. And I had a um, and I wasn't sure about I, I, it was, I think probably like so many kids that sort of 18, 19 years old, you haven't really got a sense of, of where you want to go because you haven't had enough life experience to tell you where to go. So most of what we do in those early years is experimenting with things. And one of the worst things, I think, is, is we end up in something that isn't where we want to go. I was fortunate I found within the insurance industry, I found speaking and marketing, which enabled me to play with my you know, desire to be a performer. So the purpose of the uh, our discussion today is obviously bringing uh, it's Transgender Awareness Week when we're publishing this interview. Yeah. Um, so let's talk a bit about that now from your, from your own point of view. At what age did you decide that you wanted to identify as female? Oh, this, this is one of the toughest questions that ever, anybody can ask because it's not about deciding I wanted to identify as female. From around about the age of seven, I knew um, that I should have been female. Now, under trying to understand that is is one of the hard things, and I'll try and get, do that fairly quickly. At the age of six, the head teacher at the local school where I and we lived in a village in Somerset, and uh, the head teacher had noticed I didn't get on with other children of my own age, and had suggested that I was that I see a child psychiatrist, which is what happened, and they said, "Oh, well, put him up a year, um, because yeah, he seems to be a couple of years ahead of his age mentally." Now, what they had missed was it wasn't that I didn't get on with other children at my own age. It was I didn't get on with boys. Uh, I just didn't feel comfortable, the whole rough and tumble boys play, the the kind of thing. I, I was much more comfortable with a, you know, a friend rather than in, in a group or a gang. And if you assess a girl at that age, you find that they're probably a couple of years ahead of boys. Yeah, the girls either slow down or boys speed up, whatever happens. Around about sort of 14, 15, it all starts to sort of you know, balance out and everybody catches up. But that was what was going on. If they'd been at my home, they'd have seen you know, you know, pictures of pop stars on the wall. They'd have seen a, you know, that I read the kind of comics that girls read and I preferred the Judy and the Bunty, my sister's comics, to the Lion and the Tiger. So those were all hints. Um, but then I'd started cross-dressing. I... I, I I don't know even why it happened. It, and I I certainly had this sense that this wasn't something I should probably talk about to anybody because throughout our lives, we constantly get all these subtle hints from everybody that boys don't do that, girls don't do this, girls can't go. And all the time we're getting gendered in the kind of clothes we wear, our behaviour, the expectations, yeah, what, we, yeah, what we're allowed to do at school, what we're not allowed to yeah. And all of that is happening through everything we read, everything around us is gendering us and saying, this is where you do as a boy, this is where you go as a girl. And it just for a trans person, that is awful because we know it's just not right. Now, I believe that somewhere in our brain during fetal development, 
we get hardwired female and male psychologists look but you can't look at the brain while someone's alive so to wait until they died and then you don't know whether that's just happened or um i felt all the time and this big argument on at the moment about conversion therapy saying oh we're not going to do tr- conversion therapy for trans people but it isn't about conversion therapy it's about you can't shift this if someone's gay they're gay if they're trans they're trans and it's something wired in right from birth and we just have to learn to live with that in a world that doesn't find it very comfortable um and that's really i think what was going for me um, at school around about the age of seven or eight um a young kid from a very big family who was in the middle of a very big family so lots of hand-me-down clothes he turned up wearing girls underwear um forgotten we were doing cross-country running had to get changed and uh oh, within you know one of the boys spotted it within seconds it was like a scene from lord of the flies my god everybody pitched in they're yelling they're screaming they're laughing and humiliating him and i stood there he's my friend but at the other same time i'm thinking oh god um they'll pick on me they'll know and i had this sudden fear yeah no one can ever know about my secret this has got to be yeah kept a secret and that's the way I kept it. Um, I didn't tell anyone till I was in my early 20s and about to get married. Um, when I told my uh, wife, I, yeah, and there were lots of things along my life that that were hinting that, you know, I was probably bisexual. I, you know, was comfortable with both. Um, but I know that that was the point at which I knew this was a, this was not something to talk about. And you've got to remember, this is the 1950s homosexuality was still illegal um everybody was homophobic it was you know we were culturally brought up to you know to feel it was wrong and you know that and that had been going on for four or five hundred years at least so that had impacted your early school years then how did it impact on the rest of your education and and your career well it it impacted i think from the fact that i'd been going towards engineering and and a very you know male orientated jobs and i switched and if you think about it today most people in marketing uh it's very very much become a female um type of occupation i got drawn into public relations i learned p uh, i took exams in pr very very heavily dominated by women because it's about communication and that's where women have their strength women's skills in communicating and networking and you know that that's a, the real set because women prefer to be working with other people whereas i worked in technology i worked in financial service and very often uh, men are little, in little silos in little boxes uh in the tech industry when i worked in tech and they even emailed each other when sitting next to talk to each other yeah. uh, i could never understand it uh, and people used to get annoyed with the fact that I, I like to talk. I like to chat to people. And and, and very often men would say, look, come on, come on, I'm busy. Just go away. Leave me alone. Because it's, you know, yeah, getting on your thing. The, the whole thing about, you know, men and sheds, uh, it's this private little space to go work and focus on your projects. And that wasn't me. I'm, I'm not that kind of person. I like to engage with other people even now we're you know we're still living through all the the, the tail end of lockdown uh, i just learned zoom <laughs> i have regular meetings and i and i yeah and i love Zoom because i can actually connect with people um very well through this medium um but it means that 
although I couldn't physically go and meet people, I still could. Going back to you mentioned about um, you know getting married and so on. At what age, what stage did you decide that to come out, and, and oh. how did you approach that? Well, you've got to remember that all the way through the twentieth century, um, it was it wasn't illegal to be trans. Um, if you were trans prior to the decriminalisation in nineteen sixty seven. Trans people would have been seen by very, very many as being gay. Uh, a lot of gay men were very feminine anyway. And uh, there's a lot of similarities which we don't seem to want to talk about between people who are trans and people who are gay. I don't think it's like, a oh, that's trans, that's gay. There's a, there's a big, broad area between male and female where everything, gender, sexuality, gender expression, all of it gets a little bit murky, a little bit mixed up. And I think that's what we've got to try and understand. There is this middle ground. And we we like to drop people into silos, little boxes. You know, you're this, you're that, you're the other. We started to seriously change legislation when Labour government came to power in 1997. And the big flagship piece of legislation that they wanted to go through was the Equality Act. They'd signed up to the social chapter, the Maastricht Treaty, uh, which was about saying that we're going to adopt those kind of social policies which are already embedded within within Europe um, and start to change the law. But it was so complicated, so many. If you were a black, lesbian, disabled woman and you were discriminated against, you had to choose between, you know, was it the Race Relations Act? Was it the Sex Discrimination Act? Was it the Disabled uh, Act? Uh, if it was because you were a lesbian, there wasn't any act to cover that. There was no... And, and it it was a different court case depending on which piece of legislation and everything was different. So what they did in the Equality Act was 114 separate pieces of legislation were all repealed and immersed into one single act that fundamentally changed everything. But in that run-up between 2010, well, 1999, when they made it illegal to sack someone just because they were trans, it suddenly opened the world up. And for people like me, it was like, well, I'm not going to get fired now. I'm not going to hit massive problems if I transition. And from that time, I started to think maybe I should. I was I just set up the Professional Speaking Association in 1999. So I was the founder of that. I was a master of a, a Freemason's Lodge in 2001. So so all of that time, I was at the peak of my I was. Uh, a journalist writing for most of the financial services press on technology. I was internationally speaking about it. So I was really at the, the peak of my career, you know, as you'd expect. I was, uh, you know, uh, fifth, coming up, you know, coming late 40s, coming up 50, and was I'd been doing really well. And suddenly this, I, I it just started to get, I need to deal with this. And a, a relationship broke up, and the person I'd been in a relationship with threatened to out me. And I thought, if... I'm too well known. You can't quietly come out if everybody knows you, if you're you know, top journalist and so on. So I came out big time, um, loud and proud, sequins and almost like a drag queen at, a, at an event. And um, but with your writing as well, you had a, a platform to be able to to broadcast I, I that as did, well. I did, but it, it was different. I mean, what happened was that within six months of coming out, 2002, I finally came out with, it was the end of 2001 I did the big outing. I went to insurance industry events, still speaking as a man, but then turning up to the nighttime functions in a dress 
So I, I, I and I, I wasn't sure whether I was going to completely transition or whether I would do like, as a lot of uh, men have done, which is to live socially and have one life which is female and one life which is male. I, I found I couldn't deal with that. It was just getting too confusing. I couldn't handle the crossover. Uh, and I just thought, no, I've, if I'm going to do it, this is the time to do it. Within six months, my business had fallen off a cliff. Absolutely everything had gone totally dead. No one would hire me. The one or two people who did said, oh, that's so much pressure not to hire you. And it's the, the same fear I felt of what will people do? Will they reject me? Will they discriminate against me? People hiring me were feeling the same level of fear. If I hire this person and it goes wrong, will I lose my job? Will I get sacked? Will people... So everybody has this fear. I'm going into the unknown, uh, and I'm not sure whether that's a good thing to do. So I had to completely change career once again. Gosh. I mean, just within that as well, I mean, there's a phrase in the workplace these days that's quite common of unconscious bias. You know, it's seen in workplace, it's seen everywhere, really. What bias have you seen as a transgender person? This is a topic I became, I, I, I was asked to speak about this um, about oh, 10, 12 years ago. One of my clients said, could you do, could I do something? I thought, I don't know anything about unconscious bias. Uh, so I started to read up at it and look at it and think about it. And then I realized I've spent my whole career in marketing. That that was my my primary skill. I'd been in sales and marketing uh, and well, training as well. But it, I'd use training and speaking as tools because I think if you're in sales and marketing, it's a communication industry. You have to be able to speak well. And so I suddenly realized that my job as a marketer was to make the public, make the people I was targeting biased. That's all I try to do. When you go into a shop to think about buying some beans, Heinz do not want you to be thinking, I'm going to get some baked beans. Oh, what have we got? Let's have a look at the options. They want you to think blue and pick up their blue, very, very iconic label. And that's why image is so important, because we, we're trying to bias you in favor of the image. When when someone says beans means, I want you to say Heinz. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> only Heineken can do this because he and and those memes and things are all about making you biased. Yeah, so it's, it, a, it's, it's a real, thought, it's a binary approach, isn't it? It's, yeah, it's yeah. Best, isn't it? So once I'd got that in my head, I start. I thought, right, that's it. Here we are. We are all biased, whether we like it or not. We are biased, and that bias, if you look back, the bias in terms of being able to identify is somebody from the enemy or are they some other someone that can be friendly that saved lives back you know in tribal battles and things you needed to know and those biases were were, were you know self-preservation um so all the time we have these biases that are that are embedded they're embedded by everything we see and hear by things our parents say our teachers the things we read the books films oh everything is constantly creating biases and gendering is one of the biggest of all those biases of thinking that you know i was watching a tv an old tv program about a one of the first wpcs it was a just a, a drama and the, the enormous level of gender bias yeah oh my god it's a, a female um yeah okay well can you go and make us a cup of coffee <laughs> can you go and make the tea can you go just fill in this forms for us but I, I think yeah, what we've got to understand, is, first of all, is that we are biased. 
Second thing is realizing that we need to understand what those biases are. Now, there's a really brilliant website. Harvard University has done this ongoing project about implicit association. And it's uh, <clears throat> if you just look up implicit association on the internet, you'll you'll get to the to the Harvard implicit association test. They're all free. And you can just lit and all you're doing is you're just quickly reacting to you know male, female, different races, different different issues, uh generally binary issues, and you're having to react, but they keep moving stuff around. So that you know, and one you're you're trying to press the E and the I key. And then next time around, you try it's the other way around. You press the I key for this. And, and so by mixing everything up, what they can do is measure the microsecond differences between your reactions as things move around. And from that, they can say there's an underlying bias that says women are at the home, men are in careers, they are favor of black, favor of gay. Uh, I found that I was heavily biased towards lgbtq people um and that had been as a result i think of the discrimination and the fact that you become but it meant that if i was going to be sitting on interviews which i often did as a, a board director that i needed to be aware that if a gay candidate came in i'm probably going to favor them and put a preference on that so my unconscious bias was in favor of them at the same time, I also had an unconscious bias in favour of men in in certain positions. Um, and most people do, even women, have that unconscious bias that favours men in positions of authority. Yeah, um, it really resonates with me because I, I go back to my full-time work in financial services myself. And uh, we obviously, you probably recall, you know, doing online training uh, and various courses that you do on a regular basis. And one of them that came in was unconscious bias. And I thought, yeah. okay, you know, I'm, I, I think I'm very accepting, uh, generally speaking. Um, but then when I went through the training, I thought, oh, I just need to get through it as you do. You know, it'll be simple enough. And it really was an eye opener in terms of tiny little things, uh, exactly as you say, you know, that we, wherever you sit, there is bias that everybody has. I just wrote something today on, uh, I do a, link, a post on LinkedIn at the moment every day, and uh, or most days. And I was just talking about, it's just these what happens when you when you meet someone or you if you're working in a customer facing environment what happens when somebody comes in and you just don't like them it may be somebody you actually know and you don't like or it may be somebody you know covered in lots of tattoos and you're very uncomfortable with that how do you react um now most people say oh no I, i'm 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 i will just be normal no you you can't be if you have an uncomfortable sense that you know you you're not liking this person because they're aggressive because they're big because whatever reason it will show up in minute body language differences. You won't give as much eye contact. You'll try and deal with it much more quickly. And it's that sort of thing. And, of course, you may not recognize that somebody is biased against you, but I, because I've seen it happening a lot and I'm aware of it, I know immediately when somebody is very uncomfortable. In 2003, I went to a big speakers convention in um, Singapore, uh, and I met a couple of people that I'd known quite well um, before I changed gender. This was my first time really out in a big conference, uh, as uh, identifying as female, dressing as female. Some people I uh, would say, you know, uh, hi, and explain who I was. And they, oh, my God, yeah, I know you. Uh, and they give me a big hug. Others would take a step back. 
And so I could see just those simple little things in the differences in the way one person would say, oh, my God, that's so cool. Another person would say, oh, yeah, very, very interesting. <laughs> the, the voice was there. Everything was different. And it's just so hard to hide if you suddenly find something uncomfortable. Um, you see that reaction, don't you? And you see it in a fraction of a second, you can see yeah. what the reaction is going to be. Just split second reaction. I've even had people literally, I was at a, uh, an exhibition and some. I was looking at trying to buy a, a photocopier um, and I was talking to this kid and literally about two, two minutes into the conversation, he just burst out laughing and ran off. And somebody else came over and said, oh, well, is there a problem? I said, I think he's struggling with me being transgender. Um, but it's, I, I've never tried to really change my voice. I didn't think, you know, I, I thought I'm going to end up with a fake voice if I try it. This is who I am. I, I raised the pitch slightly, but I just thought, no. And that's partly why I now identify as non-binary is because I know that I, I'm not totally identifiable as female. I'm not identifiable as male. I'm, I'm somewhere in between. And it's probably better just to say, oh, this is where I am. Well, I've got a question on that, if you if you don't mind. And I'm sure yeah, I know it. that other people have, is that you have transgender and you've got non-binary. What is the difference? I wish I could say there's a simple answer to this, but there's not. Some people who are non-binary identify as trans. Some don't. Um, um, I... Yeah, there are some people who've who've embraced the idea of non-binary, even though beforehand they were they were comfortable as you know they're you know identifying with their uh, birth sex. What we've done is to we, we, because we were very binary, we we've had this situation where we, we've had either because someone's sexuality, yeah, they prefer people of the same sex, that we've we criminalized. Uh, if they didn't fit in in terms of their presentation, then that was yeah almost always treated badly as well. It's only, really only in the past fifty years that the Western world, Europe, America, Britain, yeah, have started to embrace the idea that maybe this difference is okay, uh, and not try to force everybody into these differences. And and what you'll see is happening is that we're as we break down the barriers between genders, as we start to encourage women to do things that were traditionally male, men now become nurses and you know, and midwives. So what, as we start to make that crossover, so that middle ground is expanding very quickly. I think it's 16 countries now um, allow you to have a um, non-binary gender on your passport. Uh, America was the last one. The USA has actually gone that way. So that's anybody in the USA can now have a non-binary passport. Is that where you have a, an X? On an X, yeah. yeah. I mean, X has been chosen for it. I'm not sure that was the right choice, but, you know, that, that's sort of happened. It's the way it's going. You can do, you know, um, and we've got the sort of this, this you know, the title MX, which is now, but nobody knows how to pronounce that. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> and that that brings us in, of course, and I'm sure the next question is going to be about pronouns. Well, yeah, I was going, you're just going to lead on to that because yeah. you know, that is, I mean, I think with pronouns in themselves, you know, I, I think there's a general misunderstanding with that and the MX bit as well. You know, how can you explain the difference to us? Yeah, well, because we've got this binary world, we we have developed our language to support being binary, and that's. That's across the whole of Europe. All European languages are, in fact, the English language is probably the least binary. Uh, when you look at French, well, I'm still learning French after 50 years of trying. <laughs> I'm, uh, I'm, I'm getting there. 
Um, but part of the difficulty is realizing that, you know, everything is gendered. Sometimes I don't fully understand it. The French word for vagina is vagin. Uh, it's le vagin. Which is le masculine. Is masculine. So why why would a vagina be masculine? I just don't understand how some words end up masculine. Some but the problem is it isn't just the nouns. The verbs change. Um, the adjectives, everything changes. The whole sense of the sentence changes. Um once you you're dealing with something yeah, that's masculine or feminine, so it becomes extremely difficult to encompass the idea that somebody is neither male nor female, because um, now in in France, Germany, and other countries, they're beginning the, the non-binary community is beginning to adapt the language, but of course, you know, we don't have. Uh, a body in policing gender and language as they do in France and Germany. So uh, here it's been much easier. Although initially um, people started to invent new pronouns. And it's really about saying, you know, I, I'm comfortable. You know, I when I changed gender, I said, fine, I'm going to use female pronouns. I'm just use she, her. Uh, and that's fine. I'm comfortable with that. Um, and I still am uh, comfortable with that. I didn't want to use male pronouns because it was that was a sense of saying no, I'm not male. I, I I never was. I didn't feel comfortable with that. I'm now female. I will have female pronouns, uh, and you know I have a gender recognition certificate which says I legally are now recognised as female in every uh, way. But I had 50 years living as a man, and I can't let go of that. That's part of who I am. So. As it's got easier, I've started to look and think, no, I think I comfortably fit in that middle ground. It's much better, much easier. It's Is that the they well, bit, they and them? It's still a very difficult world because it's still a binary world. If I go out and I want to use the toilets, um, I have a choice, male toilets or female toilets. Sometimes there are non-binary. Sometimes it's unisex toilets, which is actually I'm quite comfortable with. But most of the time, even if it's just two toilets, one will have you know, male and one will have female on it. Which one do I use? Well, if I go into male toilets, presenting in a predominantly female way, um, most people will see me as female walking down the street and until I start to talk, then I start to have a challenge. So all the time, you know, f since I transitioned 20 years ago, I, I have had some level of discomfort over this. It would be nice uh, if there were non-binary options. Um, as the non-binary community grows, I think at the moment people are estimating is around about half a million people uh, identifying specifically as non-binary. But because we don't have a, a legal recognition of that, it's uh, it's very difficult. Now, if you change from male to non-binary. According to the Equality Act and a recent tribunal hearing last year, um, they said, well, that's still changing gender. That's still transgender. It's still, still gender reassignment, which is what they're looking at. So anybody identifying as non-binary is automatically protected by the same legislation that protects someone who's changed from male to female, female to male. Now, how long it'll last, I don't know. We've got a very right-wing government at the moment, which worries me. We've got some very, very anti-trans campaigns running at the moment from lesbian, radical lesbian feminists, uh, but also parents of trans young trans people who don't want their children to transition. Um, and there's also some extreme 
right-wing bigots who are involved in that as well. So they're the same people who don't like anybody being a different colour or anything. And we've just been through midterms in uh, USA as well, so probably probably we won't go any further on that. But the the, the worry is there. Yeah, absolutely. They keep, and for some reason, trans, I mean, we saw it in the Tory leadership election, trans issues suddenly became a major issue. I think, for God's sake, we've got the economy falling apart. Why are you focused on a small proportion of society who's just trying to fit in to a world that doesn't automatically accommodate us? So we've, we now use, I use they, them pronouns now. Some people find that difficult. They say, oh, that's thing I know. If if I'm at a meeting and someone's left their phone, I'll say, oh, look, someone's left their phone. Could somebody give it to them? If I don't know what someone's gender is, I use their as a, non, as a non-gender. When you're writing a book, the old days you write, used to either write it automatically, assuming it was he, so women didn't read it. Um, if you use her and she, uh, then men won't read it because they assume it only applies to women. If you use him, her, all the way through, it's easier just to write they. And I think more and more people in their marketing, writing and everything else now, if you're appealing to all genders, you use plural pronouns as singular pronouns. That That's a really clear explanation because, like you say, if you don't know what the gender of a person, if that matters, then you do say, read their book. Um, yeah. For example, you know, if you see the title of the author, but you might not know what their gender is, well, you default to that. So that actually makes a lot of sense. You know, it really yeah. does. So all we're saying is if I'm non-binary, just default to that. You know, they, they, them. Or see me as male and female in one. That's two people in one body. <laughs> great. That's great. Well, as ever time is upon us, I've got one final question that I ask all of my guests. And is, okay. that is knowing what you know now and all of that, experience that you've had that we've we've listened to what one piece of advice would you give your younger self knowing all of that experience i think probably the most important piece of advice i should have taken for myself was when things get tough don't spend all your savings (laughs) i have no regrets about my life um i was offered a job once i turned it down the person who got the job ended up being a millionaire because the company ipo'd and um i would have got that but had i done that then everything would have changed my whole life would have changed i probably wouldn't have come out um because i'd have still been in a relationship because it would have been very too expensive to get out of it um there are all sorts of things that yeah wouldn't have happened um but as a result of that and a result of, you know, some relationship breakdowns, what money had been accumulated got, you know, taken away, split up, you know. And then, then I found myself on a, you know, getting no work at all for for a while. So I had to go to university. Um, I didn't realise at the time that um, I probably could have got financial support for that. But I had some money at my pension. I used that to pay for me to do a master's degree. So there, so there are a number of, and that was my culture was not about you know drawing on on benefits. I I think overall I've had a really varied life, uh, and I've enjoyed the things that I've done, the places I've been. I've I've had great opportunities. I've travelled the world. I've yeah, you know, I've stayed in some of the best hotels in the world. I've stayed in some of the worst hotels. Um, I've I've had tough times with very little money, and I've had times when things have been quite good. And in some ways, if I hadn't had that, 
then I wouldn't have such a, a a good grasp on what life is really all about. So I've enjoyed my life. I've enjoyed the changes. I've enjoyed the ups and downs. Um, if I changed gender earlier, obviously it would have totally changed everything. I know that the career path I had as a man would not have been open to me as a woman if I'd been born female. As a trans person, it definitely wouldn't have been available to me. Um, I would have struggled to get a job and I would have been drawn down you know, some very different paths. So, so I think this is the thing. I it, It's only when I think about, oh, God, I missed that opportunity. And then I look back and think, right, what would have happened if I'd taken that? What would not have happened? And then I start to realize some really important things in my life would not have happened if I'd gone that other path. So I, 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 I'm one of those people who believes you, you don't have regrets. Somewhere along the line, whatever path you've gone down, um, there is something important that you have to learn. That's why you took that path. Ricky Arundel, thanks very much for all your advice and guidance. Pleasure. Huge thanks go to Ricky for their openness, honesty and mentorship. A link to Ricky's Linktree site, which includes various YouTube videos and talks, and that implicit association online test that they mentioned can be found in the show notes. My thanks also go to Manchester Metropolitan University Business School for helping keep the podcast ad-free. A link to their offerings and courses can also be found in the show notes. If you've enjoyed the episode, please subscribe to the series wherever you get your pods. You can leave feedback about the episode through social media by searching for Half Hour Mentor. Thanks for joining us, and until next time, bye for now. Bye for now.